Good morning. Happy Fourth of July. I gotta be honest. Today's sermon is titled Expectations versus Reality. And the expectation was that there would be three of you here this morning. The reality is most of you felt it was important to be here on the fourth of July, so I praise God for that. Not because I'm preaching, but this is where we should be on Sunday morning. How many here like reality television? Don't be shy. If you're not raising your hand, you're probably not being real honest. Because we do watch reality television. There's plenty of it on. Now, at our house, well, I won't include Dallas because I, I don't know what he's doing. But for my wife and I, the reality TV we watch is basically all the ones that have to do with singing and talent. American Idol, The Voice, and America's Got Talent. Now, if we're honest, one of the reasons we like to watch that is because we like to see people either surprise us in a way that we thought would never happen. How many remember, um, who was the lady that sang on, uh, it, was the, it was the British uh, Idol, and she sang Ruthie Henshaw's um, song from Les Mis. Anybody remember that? And she came out on stage, and, and she looked like she was probably in her 70s. And when she stood in front of the judges, they laughed. They kind of were poking fun. They asked her how old she was, and she was actually in her early 50s. But she was wearing clothing that suggested she was way older than her age. And they asked her what her dream was, and she said, well, my dream is to, to one day be like Ruthie. And, and they actually laughed. People in, in the crowd laughed. But when she started singing, nobody was laughing anymore. She went on to have a career in singing and, and just shocked the world. But let's face it, the ones that we really like are the ones that come out and talk about how good they are. In the interview, they talk about they're meant to do this. This is their lifelong dream. They're going to fill arenas. And the second they open their mouth, we realize they're never filling an arena. They're horrible. So we watch it because we like the train wrecks and we like the ones who, who surprise us and go way beyond what we ever imagined. Because sometimes our expectations don't match reality because we don't have much to go on. When someone walks out on stage, we don't know them. We don't know their capabilities. So, you know, we sit at home and we're kind of on pins and needles waiting for them to sing like, we don't know what to expect. We can judge them based on how they look or how they talk. Um, sometimes when someone talks, you think there's no way a singing voice is coming out of that. Anybody ever heard of Jim Neighbors? That singing voice and that speaking voice do not match. But somehow, he made it work. So we have this, this learned experience, well, I guess not really learned, but this, this experience in life where we find out that our expectations don't necessarily meet reality. Today, 4th of July, I can tell you that my expectation is, and this may be for some of you as well, when I go home, just like the last three or four nights in my neighborhood, tonight will be nonstop fireworks in my neighborhood for about four to five hours. How many will experience that tonight in their neighborhood? That is an experience that, that I know will happen, and so my expectations should meet my reality. If it doesn't happen, I'll be more surprised than if it did. Now, sometimes we have these false expectations of reality, Things that we think will happen or things that we think we can do 
that we maybe necessarily don't have the ability. I mean, I would love to stand in front of you and tell you that I can run a, a 4-5-40. I don't know if I can run a 4-5-20 because the reality is I'm just not quick. I tried to run on the tennis court not too long ago. There's a video. Well, thank God there's not a video of it because it, it may have found its way here. But I was running across the tennis court. My granddaughter was watching. My wife was watching. And I was playing our daughter-in-law. And I was running for the ball. And next thing I know, my legs said no. And I fell forward. And I literally just skidded on my face and my shoulders while my legs were in the air. And my tennis racket just went sliding across. And then I turned around. And I just collapsed. They thought I had died. In reality, I don't know what hurt more, my ego or, or my body. But then the very next thing I did was when I got up, I kind of looked around to see, was there anybody anywhere near the tennis court? Thankfully, there wasn't. Sometimes we think we can do things. We think we have this ability. And it's not necessarily there. So we learn on our own process through life what we can and we cannot do. Now, not too long ago, my wife and I got into this. I don't want to say business, it's not really business, but we got into redoing furniture. Some of you may have seen some of the stuff that we posted online. One, I do it just out of therapy alone, just to be able to sand stuff down, work with things. So when I'm on the road and I come home, it's nice for her and I just to go downstairs. We have a room that's set up just for that, and we redo furniture. Now, when we decided to get into this, I, I made a mistake. I went online, and I looked at people who were doing this for a living. And so my expectation was the first piece I do, I want it to look just like that. I can tell you that is never how it turns out. Now, hopefully we got them. I have a picture of a dresser, an older dresser that we've had for years. That's actually been in, in Carolyn's family probably for 30-some years. And she's been on me and said, let's redo this, let's redo this. And I'm like, yeah, we'll get to it. You know, we'll do it at some point. I mean, you look at it, and there's not much potential. I wish you could see the top. We didn't take a picture, but there's knife marks, there's carvings. I mean, everything possible that, that boys throughout the years could do. Her brothers, our sons. So it's really been beat up. So our son, who's moved to North Carolina, we wanted to give him a dresser to take with him. So she said, look, he's coming home tonight. Can we do this today? So, wow. I don't, I don't know. So the next picture is actually the finished product. And that's how it turned out. And what I learned over the time as doing furniture is not everything that you think is going to happen is going to happen. When we first started, I would buy pieces and think, boy, if I sand that down and stain it, it would be beautiful. Only problem was I didn't realize that wasn't real wood. And if you sand down too far, you get to the glue, which doesn't stain, then you got to end up painting the thing. So when she asked me, she said, do you think we could sand the top and sand the drawers? I said, I have no idea. I quit telling people that I can do something if I'm not sure I can do it. But through the process of learning furniture and learning what you can do, I said, I think maybe we can salvage the top and we can salvage the drawers. And that's how it turned out, and that took us four hours to do. Not everything takes four hours, but that one just happened to take four hours, and it turned out beautiful. I didn't bring some of the pieces, pictures of the pieces that we did that didn't turn out so beautiful. No one wants to show their failures. But the reality is, life doesn't happen always the way that we expect it. Take, for instance, some of us in here, most of us who have already graduated and moved on in life. Is your life, the reality of your life, has it turned out the way that you expected it to turn out? 
You know how many people dread going to class reunions? Because who they thought they were going to be turned out not to be who they ended up as. And that's just the case for, for most people in life. They find that they're disappointed with where they've ended up because they had all these expectations that didn't meet with the reality. How about this one? You get married thinking you're going to be married for the rest of your life. But the reality is, divorce rate's high. Because people go in with different expectations. They don't go in it with the Lord. They don't go in it with counseling. They just walk into it and rush into it. And years later, or even months later, when they get divorced, they find out that the reality of marriage is not what they thought. In their mind, they don't realize what it could be. Or maybe a spouse passes away sooner than they're supposed to. That is devastating. That's hard to deal with. Life throws us these, these things that make reality so much different than what we expect. About a year and a half ago, uh, one of my former wrestlers had a baby girl pass away. It wasn't even a year old. They were out of town. The mother was watching the baby. And, and the baby died in the crib. You talk about a hard funeral to go to. No parent expects to bury their child. That's not the reality that we see for ourselves. Some parents bury their child as a teenager, some as an adult, but to bury a child as a baby, man, that is difficult. That's something very, very hard to wrap your mind around that you had this little baby you had all these expectations. Don't we do, as parents, we have these expectations? When our kid's born, we say, wow, our kid is going to be this. And if you're sitting with your kids, look at them and tell them, you did not turn out to be this. But you turned out to be something way more than we ever imagined. Because our expectations didn't meet our reality. Now, sometimes we learn through, through coaching experiences. And I will say that this, that's what this is. The experience of being in church and listening to someone preach or to go to a small group, that's somebody who's teaching you how to live a life. They're teaching you what to expect so that it meets the reality of where you're at. But what do we do when someone's teaching expectations that we don't agree with? If you've watched TV lately, there's two commercials on that have bothered me and, and kind of kind of really resonated with me. One of them, I don't even know what the commercial's about, but they're showing people and they're talking, and then all of a sudden they talk about the fact that no matter what gender you are randomly given at birth, you are who you want to be. I, I don't think that we're randomly given any gender at birth. See, when we talk about that, that's not just a slap on religion. That's really a slap on God saying, you're not in control. You don't get to choose gender. You don't get to choose relationships. See, we're teaching people to expect that they can be their own gods and make their own choices. So they're altering the reality for all these people watching. But that's not the real reality. That's not the reality that we find within Scripture. The other one that is on is, it's a MasterCard commercial, 
And it talks about the fact that we feel bad for, for transgender people who get beat up. So we allow them now to get credit cards where they can put a name on there that more identifies with who they think they are. Now, my wife was pretty clever, picked up on that fast and said, let's get mobile credit cards and other names. We don't have to pay for them. We're not legally bound. They're not in our name. But that's what they're doing. They're letting people get a card. So if I come out and I say tomorrow that I identify as a woman, I can get a credit card with the name Jill on it. Now, I would be one of the ugliest women you've ever seen. I'm not even that great looking of a guy. But see, the world's teaching people that the reality is I can do that if I want. I don't really understand that. I don't understand how we can just change what the reality is from what God created. But it's happening. It's happening every day. Make no mistakes. It's happening around you. Now, one of the reasons I chose Psalm 37 was Carolyn used to ask me a lot when we first got married. She has a brother that no matter what he does, he makes money. He's got what we call the Midas touch. And we would sit at home at night and she'd say, I don't understand how he makes that much money. And she doesn't begrudge him for making it, but what she says is he doesn't go to church he doesn't pray. He doesn't live the life of a Christian. So why does God bless them the way that he does? Why doesn't God bless Christians that way? Some he does, some he doesn't. But she always struggled with the fact that we see people in the world who do things and, and they get rewarded for it. How many times have you seen someone who always does the right thing only to never get anywhere in life? So what happens? Immediately we look at the world and we say, if I want something, I've got to change my expectations and I've got to rewrite reality to what I need it to be. Let's go to Psalms 37. Now this one's a little bit unusual because most of the Psalms are written to God. David wrote them to God. But this one, he's writing to us. This is that teaching. He's teaching us the expectations to match the reality of who God is and what God does. He says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. It's hard to look at people and say, I know John has all this over here and it looks so attractive. But understand, if he has all that without God, he has nothing. Because one day, just like you, just like me, he will pass away. And all that money, all that fame, all that fortune, whatever he has will mean nothing. He will wither just like the flowers in the field. You say, well, we'll die and we'll wither. No, we will live in eternity with Christ. There's a difference. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So this is a, this is a passage that people use for prosperity ministry, right? Trust in the Lord and do well, 
and he will give you your desires. He will give you everything that you want. Here's the problem with that. We can't skip over the verse before that. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. So what does that really mean? I would suggest that for some, we may be Christians, but we're not, we're not really living the right Christian life. You say, well, there's a right and a wrong? There's a right and a wrong way to be married. I can be married to my wife, but if we never talk, if we never socialize, if it's only a one-way relationship, that marriage is going to be miserable for at least one of us. And truthfully, it's probably miserable for both. The right way for that marriage to work is for us to always be in communication, for us to delight in one another, for us to take joy and hope and lean on each other in times of need. So I'll ask you, in your relationship with Christ, is it a right relationship? Do you commune with him? Do you read scripture? Do you pray? See, if you do those things, and I'll just, I'll just do those two. If you read your scripture and you pray, those two things, you're reading a love letter that God wrote to you, and then you're communicating back with him after you read it. And then here's the reality. The desires that you had before all that will change. You see, before I became a Christian, my desire was simple. Couldn't wait for Thursday night because I went out from Thursday to Sunday. Classes didn't exist on Thursday. They didn't exist on Friday. I could care less if I woke up for Monday. That was my expectation. My expectations of what I was looking for in a wife, to be honest, I wasn't looking for one at the time. But if I was, my expectations didn't match what my heart wanted. And so when I met Christ and I changed my life and I began to pray, and I begin to read scripture, the desires of my heart changed. And I would tell you that if the desires of your heart hasn't changed, and you're still chasing what the world says is reality, you've got to get right in your relationship with Christ. Because it's not right. Your desires should be focused on what he wants for you, living within his will. I've always said that God probably didn't want me to be rich. Because if I was, I probably would have never known his name. I would have just lived my life recklessly. And yet I know Christians who have wealth beyond belief. And they give away as much as they bring in. Because they have the gift of giving. And God blesses those people so that they can continue to give. So... You ask, is it wrong for Christians to be rich? Is it wrong for Christians to have money? Is it wrong for Christians to be famous? No. As long as we have the right heart and we use that platform for what it's meant to be and not use it for what the world says it should be. So an example of how reality doesn't always look like what we think, there's a picture on the Internet that's been pretty famous about people hanging off of a cliff. I believe it's in Brazil. 
There are hundreds of pictures of people taking their photo on this rock. And I'm looking at these and I'm going, that's insane. Like that's someone who must really have a strong faith in Christ because they're trying to meet him. And they're trying to meet him today. The expectation is that is crazy. Here's the reality. It's all about camera angle. That, thing, that thing's not even, not even five feet off the ground. See, it's how our perspective, it's all from a perspective point of view. And the world's telling you that here's reality. Reality is you could be whatever you want to be. You could change genders if you want. You can go out and do anything in the world as long as you're okay with it and as long as you feel good. And we've taken that lie even further and said, God would want you to be happy. God would want you to do these things. God's not a God of, of rebuking. God's not a mean God. God's a God who wants you to be happy. It says so right here. It says he will give you the desires of your heart. We're distorting the view of who God is. C.S. Lewis is, is a well-known author. Um, he was extremely important during World War II. Uh, he was broadcast all over uh, Europe because he brought comfort to people um, during the invasions. You may know uh, some of his work, most popular are the Chronicles of Narnia. But he also wrote other books like The Screwtape Letter, which is also very popular. Great read if you've never read it. And then he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And the book's not this thick in reality. I, I have large print. You could probably read it from where you're at. I didn't buy the large print. It's just the only one they had, so that's why I bought it. I didn't really need it then. I do now. I will say this if you go out and you buy this book. Because he's British, the writing is a little awkward at times. Because it was written in the 40s, it's even more awkward. This would not be a gender-friendly book because... He uses the word queer in a way that is not used today. And they even make notes in here. They have to make notes in here to tell people, this is not what you think it is. This is something different. But he spends the first, uh, first part of the book talking about atheism. He says, look, atheism is just too easy. That's a cop-out. It's an easy road to take because it just doesn't make sense. If you get into the, to the whole thing and you really start to dig into it, there's holes everywhere. And I tell you that to say this because he goes on the next chapter. He says, very well then, atheism is too simple. And I'll tell you another view that is also too simple. It's the view I call Christianity and water. Now, today we would call that watered-down Christianity. But in the way that he wrote it, he wrote it to say Christianity and water. The view which simply says there is a good God in heaven. And everything is all right, leaving out all the difficult and terrible doctrines about sin, hell, the devil, and the redemption. Both these are boys' philosophies. <laughs> I like how he said that. Today we would say those were, those were childish philosophies. But he said those are boys' philosophies. Think about this world. Think about the people who give God credit on TV all the time. I like to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those are people who believe that there is a good God in heaven and that everything is all right. 
They've never heard about the, the doctrine of sin and hell and the devil. Because if they had, their heart would be changed like David said it would be in Psalms. And their attitude and their beliefs would be different than what they are. So see, they don't have a right relationship with Christ because they did. The fruits would be there because scripture tells us it would be. It's no good asking for a simple religion. After all, real things are not simple. They look simple, but they are not. If there really were a God, they are sure he would have made religion simple. I love this next part because simplicity is so beautiful. You must be on your guard against these people for they will change their ground every minute and only waste your time. You know what the world does all the time? They change the bar all the time. They change the rules so that we as Christians can never know where they're going or what they're doing. He says, notice their idea of God making religion simple, as if religion were something that God invented and not his statement to us of certain quiet, unalterable facts about his own nature. You see, that's the problem with the world today. They think religion is something that we've made. And in reality, religion is just a tool we use to examine the God who created us and the God that loves us. And you say, well, if, if we don't know who to trust, if people change the view on us and they make it look different and they, and they move the bar of the reality, how do we know that what we read in Scripture is right? I probably shouldn't, but I do this. When someone's having doubts about Christianity, doubts about God, I tell them, put it to the test. Go out in the world. If you think Hinduism is right or you think this religion's right, shoot, if you think atheism is right, then I want you to go out in the world and I want you to test it because I have enough faith in what you have been taught in Christ that when it's all said and done, you'll find that there's only one key that fits in the hole in your heart. And that's Christ. And I tell them, go out and examine the world. Don't take my word for it. Read scripture and see if it's true. So what do we tell people when their reality has changed quickly? Someone who's lost a loved one. Someone who has found themselves in a divorce and sitting home with one or more kids and saying, that all sounds great. But you know, I went to church and I, I, I prayed what happened? My spouse left me, or my spouse died unexpectedly. Why would God do that to me? See, we forget about the fact that there are other things at work here. If we leave out Satan, if we leave out sin, then we don't understand that for a short time, God has given Satan domain over the earth. Now, he keeps him on the reign. He doesn't let him do any more than he should. But see, we have original sin that has caused so many sickness and death and anger and, and other issues in this world. That's not God. That's man distorting what God has given us. But if we read on, it says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make, you, make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That is, that's difficult. 
I ain't even going to lie to you. Waiting patiently, I don't have the patience for that most of the time. And I'm always asking God when, how, now. And I love it when he doesn't answer me because when he doesn't answer, it's a wait and see or a maybe. But, man, I have trouble with that. i got to be honest. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. He goes through here a lot and says, do not fret. Do not worry. See, David, we know because it's in verse, I think, 25. David says, I wrote this when I was older. So he's had this life experience and he's teaching that to us. David already knows we're going to struggle with this stuff. Why? Because even then, people struggled with it. You think David was looking around at what other people had when he was a shepherd? You think he was worried about where he was heading? And yet, he became a king. Not because he prayed for it, not because he asked for it, not because he willed it, but because God gave him what his heart desired, and God put that desire within his heart. I want you to skip to verses 12 through 14. The wicked plot against the righteousness and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. How can you know that you're living a right relationship with Christ? Because the world is attacking you. The world is attacking Christianity every day. People around you are attacking you because they know in their heart there's something different about you than what's different about them. They draw their swords. They attack. They come at you with everything they have. That's why, that's why sometimes people go through things like divorce or they experience death. Because the world is trying their hardest to separate them from the one who created them. In spite of what the commercials are telling you today, you are not random. You aren't random as a person. You aren't random with the family that you were born into. And you weren't random with the gender that you were assigned by God, the one who made you. But the world would tell you different today. I'll end with this. Today is the 4th of July. And in this country, we always talk about God, and we talk about how God looks over this country. When the founding fathers sat down and drafted the documents for this country and drafted what we would become, do you think they envisioned what we see today? I don't mean the buildings and the cars and all that, but I mean just the people, the hearts, the attitude. At one time, this was a favored country because this country remembered who their redeemer was. And as we've let go, that, that torch has been in trouble of going out. Some would say that Africa now has the torch. It's been passed to them. I don't know if I told the story here, but th there was a bishop uh, of the Methodist Church in South Georgia, and he went over to Africa on a visit, and he met with the bishops over there, and he said, 
I just want you to know that there are a whole lot of people back in the United States, especially where I live in South Georgia, who are praying desperately for you. And we're here to do whatever we can to assist you. And the bishop, who was an older gentleman, started laughing. <laughs> and Bishop Thomas says, I, I, did I say something that was different in translation? And he says, no, I, I heard you. I heard you just fine. He says, what's funny is, it's us who prays for you. We look at America and we're sad. She's lost her way. She's not what she used to be. So, Bishop, while I appreciate the fact that you are praying for us, and please continue to do so, understand that we are on our knees here in Africa praying that you will somehow find Christ again in the American church and spread it throughout the world. Now, you may say, wasn't Christ already in the church? If you go to a good one. You know how many churches don't preach the sin, the death? They don't preach about Satan. They just preach the good things, the fluffy things, the things that make us feel good. Well, I got news for you. Those good things, those fluffy things, they don't get you through the week when things get real and things get hard. So we need to know how do we defeat the things that come before us. First, you have to know the enemy. You have to identify it. Once we know the enemy, we know how the enemy works. Then we can use the tools that we are taught by David and others within Scripture who are telling us exactly what we need to know to live a right Christianity. So I would urge you that if this doesn't sound like your reality, and if you have a, a different expectation of what church should be, maybe you should examine that. Because really the expectation shouldn't be, I go on Sunday morning, I occasionally go on another night, I read my Bible when I think about it and I pull it out. And I definitely pray when things get bad. I try to pray more. You're getting exactly what you expect out of this relationship and no more. You want more out of this relationship with Christ? Expect more. How do you expect more? By putting more into that. And the reality is that God will reward that in ways that you never even imagined. Not monetary. But your heart will know exactly what that reward feels like. It's a shame, but we have a lot of churches today that don't teach the real depth of what Christianity is. We just teach the surface, the fluff. And the reality is that's not how discipleship is created. That's not how the foundation of Christianity is created. Do you think Jesus sat down with the disciples and gave them fluff? Man, he didn't give anybody fluff. How many times he tell Peter just to sit down and shut up, basically, right? You don't know what you're talking about. We'll get back to you later. But that's reality. And if that's not your reality, then let's pray that it becomes that. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, that is the ultimate testing tool. That is the ultimate reality that we should be following. But unfortunately in our life, we have let others distort that reality. And when the reality gets distorted, our expectations become distorted. So Lord, I pray that you will write our reality, that you will, that you will write the ship that we live in, and Lord, that you will make us more whole Christians. 
by being in a right relationship with you through prayer, through scripture, through discipleship. And I pray, Lord, that if anybody here isn't in that kind of relationship with you, if they don't know you, if they've never accepted you, that maybe today they've learned that there's a way to get over the heartbreak in the world that is dealt. Maybe there's a way to get through the things that you thought were impossible to get through. And it's all by having a right relationship with you. So I pray, Lord, that if no one knows you here, that they would pray that you would come into their heart, that you would that you would walk with them, that you would teach them, that you would comfort them, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on them to know how to live the reality that you have put before us in Scripture and not the one that the world is trying to teach us. We just thank you. We love you, Lord, for your grace because without it, we would all be doomed. And we thank you that you give it freely. In your son's name we pray. Amen.